Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Deborah Wilson! Hi, I am, I'm still marveling at your studio and I really feel like I am in Wonderland. It is absolutely stunning and beautiful. It is a journey of fun and whimsy and interest. And then it's a journey of peace and relaxation and harmony and home and hearth and love <laughs> and beauty and color. And it's just, yeah. And wow. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. I'm extremely impressed and very grateful to be here. Of all things. Thank oh, you. God So grateful to be here. Goddess. When the very first time I met you, we were doing a looping group with Terry Douglas. Mm. I don't remember if it was maybe Emoji Movie. I think it was maybe Emoji Movie. Or wow. It was a big, fun, animated thing. Or maybe it was something before that. But I remember just your energy being so magnetic <laughs> and beautiful. So Breathe it all yeah. in. Love it all out. That's exactly what I do. Breathe it all. My love and my care for what I do and how I do it, and the people who are doing that with me precedes me before I walk in the room. That's my that's my setup before I walk into the room. It's always an extension of me. I don't want to walk in a room without that opening the doors for me. Have you had a very deep spiritual practice for your entire life? No one has one for their deep and entire life. Everything is a journey to and and a choice to either want that and need that and find that. Or it's a journey of what I call the five dimensions. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah. Okay, yeah. We're what I call the five dimensions, which is to eat, sleep, shit, fucking consume. <laughs> and some people will tailor their lives and be beholden to that type of existence. And if it works for them, it works for them. Uh, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. So in choosing, and we all come here to choose, in choosing a life that is enriched beyond the three dimensions and beyond the five dimensions that I just mentioned, it is important for me to always keep an eye out for things that move me and that will enhance my relationship with my, my spiritual space, the God I believe in, and then out to everybody else. So everybody else is in the third position. And that's a powerful position because the first position is my relationship with God. My second position is my honesty and integrity and love for self. Mm -hmm. And then from that, everything else is mirrored to give that to, which is why my love precedes myself when I walk into a room. My care for that precedes me because my relationship with God is, is a foundation. My relationship with self is a foundation. And therefore, as a mirror image of everyone else, my relationship with you is becomes my foundation when I walk into any room. Mm -hmm. And oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> yes, yes. There's so much beauty and depth there. It's, it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah, to it's it's it. always an evolutionary process. No one is born with it. Yeah, but everyone can grow into it. And the world is a stimuli for it. A stimuli in the world and a stimuli greater than the world. It, whatever your belief is. Was there 
any kind of spiritual awakening you have in your oh, life? Or? Yeah, there's always a spiritual awakening. It never ends. It is a journey. But the biggest spiritual awakening was in 2012 when I wasn't working. Mm. My marriage was crumbling and I was going to lose my home. And so without making money, without a, a so-called career mm. and without all of those things, if you fix yourself in that three-dimensional world and all of those things which you bartered with and all of those things which you cultivated and all those things which you've invested in and I and attached yourself mm-hmm. to and all of those things that you let essentially tell you who you are, you know, and give you a title based on those things, a husband, a homeowner, a wife, an actor, an actress, a comedian, a voiceover artist, if you let all those things define you and you allow them to define you in the three-dimensional world, when they all go, the thing that now defines you based on what you behold in yourself too is failure. So now you go from all of those things because they were very grounded in the three-dimensional world to now being bound at a lower vibration by then calling yourself the next thing I am defined by is a failure. And all of it is an illusion. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know it was an illusion at the time, but- You uh, didn't. No, 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 I didn't know it was an illusion at the time. And so I finally became physically ill to the point in which I said, I can't do this anymore. And what I think I need is God. And to tell me, how do I, how do I end this? I'm not looking to get my husband back. I'm not looking to get money. I'm not looking for a career. Mm. I just want to be happy. So I just want the basics. How, how do I get balance and harmony with self? And I was given the answers. I was given the answers and I was immediately healed. And that became the cathartic experience that was tailored for a greater experience with others and that I was meant to go through a crucifixion because there's no purpose of a crucifixion without a resurrection. Mm-hmm. And in that moment of resurrection, the healing was not just for myself. It was a pathway and a book, a Bible, so to speak, a Talmud, so to speak, a Quran, so to speak, to open the doors to share with others and bear witness to their possibilities, their hope, their health, their happiness, their peace, their prosperity, their well-being, and their opportunity for self-healing and love and success. And I had to tell my story in order to do that. We all do. Mm -hmm. None of us are above that. We all have a story to tell about a space we were in. And in recognizing in the three-dimensional world, in the lower vibrational world, that there was just all this shit going on, this Mm -hmm. bullshit. The universe, God was always reminding me that I was the minerals to turn it into fertilizer. And in asking, it was given. And it was an abundant space to be able to accept that there was something greater than me because I created nothing and I was given everything. And I didn't know what to do with everything. So I manipulated it and I liken it as to being in a pinball game and you're the ball. So yes, the flippers are flipping you and you're scoring points and you're banging back and forth, but Uh the game is always tilted and someone else is always flipping. (laughs) And when I got out of it, I said, wait a minute, then if that is my consciousness, uh, my consciousness is much greater than that, then I don't have to play that game. I'm no longer in that game. I'm not in control. I'm I'm not in control, but I'm not in the game anymore. I'm not in the game. So in other words, if you accept that game, Mm. then you play by the game's rules. Mm -hmm. And when you open up your consciousness and say, I'm not playing that game anymore. I've had people, I was doing an interview not too long ago. And there was someone was saying, you know, this this business, 
you know, it, it's, look, it's a, it's a hard business. It's a tough business. It's a rough business. It's a cruel world. It's a cruel business. And I said, I beg to differ. That's your experience. But it is not. I don't live in a cruel way. I'm not going to be that thing because that weakens me and tells me that I need to be something else mm-hmm. in order to navigate my way through that world. But I don't I don't have people like that in my life and I'm not in a business like that. Mm-hmm. And we're both in the entertainment industry. So what makes the difference? Your thought. So let me just tell you this, whatever you focus on increases, mm-hmm. you know, and if you choose to use your linear thinking in your brain mm-hmm. to validate that, whatever you focus on increases, whatever you validate increases, whatever your intention is increases, bottom line. So I just didn't, I didn't focus on that because I didn't have a need to, because I was in a whole different world. Mm. It's like that with me and animals. And I have uh, quite a few tarantulas. I am a tarantula keeper. See, you've had a number (laughs) of interesting pets. Oh yeah. And so I've had boas, absolutely. But I have quite a number of tarantulas as a tarantula keeper. And I had these four blue, uh, Socotran Blue Island baboon tarantulas. They're called Monocentropus balfori. Where are they from? They're from Socotra, the Socotra Islands. Okay. And so I had them. And they're very, very fast. They're old world species. Old world species will not flick their urticating hairs at you more than they will run fast. So they run very, very fast. And so I was trying to keep them all in their enclosure while trying to clean them out and change things in the enclosure. And they're moving and they're so now they're moving. I'm like, oh, and they're, and they're expensive. And they're one of the few species of tarantulas that can be communal. Most tarantulas cannot be communal. So I had four of them and they'll feed each other and they'll nestle and sometimes in, in, in one hive, <laughs> they'll build hides where all the webs go round and round and round. They stick out like that. And it's just this round orb of web with one hole. Because this way, when something gets in, it gets stuck in the hole, but can't get out. Uh-huh. And so they're beautiful, but, you know, I was changing some things in the enclosure and you're moving around. So now as they're doing this, I'm doing something that I normally wouldn't do because I was like, I can't lose the water. Jump it I'm grabbing them like this and picking them up like this. So their legs are doing this, but I'm holding them like this. I'm holding them like this. So I'm telling someone who raises and breeds and sells tarantulas as part of his, his exotic animal business. Mm-hmm. And he's wincing every time. And I'm like, but you have these things. What? Well, I don't get it. He goes, no, they have they have a very potent venom and they bite very easily. They're highly aggressive. Tarantulas have venom. Oh, they all have venom. But this one is highly potent. We were just talking about tarantulas last night. <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't know. Oh. And because I didn't know and didn't think, uh-huh. I was never, strangely and oddly enough, I was never bitten. Oh my God. So I picked them up like that. So, you know, because they run so fast. So yeah. to try to scoop them up, they just scoop away and, yeah. and, and get out. And you bet that's it. Can't find them again. And so I would pick them up like this so as a cage yeah. and then have their hold their legs. But of course, their fangs are now are closer to my skin than ever before. <laughs> but they never attempted to bite me because my intention was scoop you up gingerly. Yeah. To keep and, 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 and a cage where you're and then put you down to up, scoop you up gingerly, put you in my bottom of my hand. And let you calm down and then let you sit in my hand. By that time, my hands were warm. They were moist mm-hmm. and they were fine. And I have pictures of them in my hand and I would just let them scoop down. And, you know, the more I had them, the more people were like, no, they have a potent venom. Never pick them up. You're not supposed to pick them up. But I didn't know better. My mm-hmm. point is, it didn't matter that I didn't know better. I was never bitten. 
and I did it in a careful way. And I looked at the experience for what it was in that moment yeah. and all was well, as opposed to the person who was doing that interview that I was doing with who said, no, the business is this and this. It was this whole general thing, but not having an individualized experience that says it can be different because it can be different. It's indicative of how much we create our own reality. Oh, we think we do. We don't, we don't create our own reality. We think we do. We just simply come to a reality that already exists in the So prior to 11 years ago, you, would you say your life was completely different before you had your... No, it wasn't as if I didn't believe. Mm. It, and it wasn't as if I didn't, I wasn't a faith-based, but I'm not religious. Mm -hmm. I'm spiritual. Mm -hmm. So it was there, but I realized that a majority of it was it's great because it serves me in this three-dimensional world. It's great because it serves me in this three-dimensional world. So it had to serve me, mm. but I wasn't serving myself and others as much. I was mm. serving and I enjoyed it, but the concept and the idea of being of service is asking and needing nothing in return. That's the true nature of service, asking and needing nothing in return, mm. except for the service itself. And so for me, I was so busy navigating my so-called career and navigating being a wife mm. that all of my attention or majority of my attention was in my low self-esteem mm. and in that space that I held as a low self-esteem that I never really reconciled with mm. and never really healed. How do I make sure I keep these things? How do I make sure I invest in these things? So most of my energy and flow went to back to the material world, material husband. How do I keep him happy? And how do I take care of this? Let me come up with ways to keep him happy. Let me come up with ways to be a better wife, hmm. to be all of these things without ever giving the thought to the larger picture is, why do you feel like you need to? Because you're unworthy. Hmm. You tell yourself, the illusion is I am unworthy. And I'm going to tie it to the other things that have happened where the equation was unworthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. fast forward to the equation that if I can't keep a husband, if I can't keep a home, if I can't keep a career, all of that unworthiness, the equation is failure and unworthy. And so that's why 2012 was my greatest epiphany. Mm -hmm. And it has been since then exponentially abundant mm -hmm. on every level of my life. Mm -hmm. And needing nothing in return, except to be of that service. So the more I get, the more I can release, because that doesn't have the same meaning for me. In fact, when I left my place, I had a two-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-floor, three-floor, two-bedroom, two-bathroom, three-floor townhouse that was over 2,000 square feet. Wow. And when I opened the doors, I gave everything away. I was like, take it because I know what this represents. Let me fill this place. Mm -hmm. Look what I can fill this place with. I'm on TV. I've, let me fill this place. Mm -hmm. And so I realized it had no meaning for me. So the material world became less and less meaningful for me. And being able to mm. storytell and voiceover was the flip side of the same coin as the storytelling in my own life and completely taking that breath to share that truth, that, re that reality, that joy, that empowerment, that learning, that catharsis. And we put that into our voiceover work all the time. And so it's never about my voice. It's always about the journey of the storytelling. And the more I found that to be true in the work that came upon me, the more people 
who were the game developers started recognizing the nature of who I was and started bringing me in because they knew the most important thing was the journey I was taking in telling their story, not coming in to be a voiceover actor. Mm, wow. So for anybody out there that might be listening to this or watching this voice actor or not, do you have any suggestions for someone to have a similar experience in their own? Yes, I do have a suggestion. Live. <laughs> live and make choices. That's what you come to this planet to do. You come to live and you come to breathe and make choices and allow your abundance to come from that space. And I'm not just talking about acquiring money, acquiring a career. I'm talking about the abundance of love for yourself, mm -hmm. the abundance of beauty in yourself, the abundance of empowerment in yourself, the abundance of confidence in yourself, the abundance of passion and compassion in yourself because those are all the springboards to everything you want in the material world. But the material world doesn't mean anything without that. Mm -hmm. It'll just be material. Those things will come and go. Mm -hmm. Those things will come and go. But the thing that will stay with you is that truth, that beauty, owning that empowerment of self and knowing that impossible is no more than a word that you can separate I am from the possible and put an apostrophe between the two letters to go from impossible to I'm possible. You are possible because you're here. It's your birthright to be possible. <laughs> I love it, Deborah. When you were just, you just took home the Lifetime Achievement Award, I believe, at the One Voice. <laughs> conference where you your outfit was amazing thank you and and if you don't know what my outfit was it was a $15.98 pair 15 $15.98 <laughs> pair of palazzo pants that I saw hacks how to turn those palazzo pants into a dress you don't unzip it you I mean you don't sew it you don't do anything differently literally <laughs> you put your legs both legs into one side of the palazzo pants and where the other leg is loose because your both legs are in there <laughs> You keep pulling it up over your titties and then put your <laughs> arm in the other leg so it sits across you like this. And thus, you have this hanging pair on your legs. And then what you do is, if it's hanging two legs because they're palazzo pants, you tie a knot in it, okay, up to here. <laughs> and then you tuck the knot inside. And there you have this nice puffy sleeve and this nice tight palazzo pant dress that sits up like that. There you go. And there are five hacks that you can find on on YouTube shorts or TikTok to turn them into various types of dress, depending upon the size of the I actually got a video of it, so we'll see if we can insert it here as a little <laughs> B-roll. <laughs> yeah, and your speech was so um, inspiring that night, I think, for a lot of people that were sitting in the audience that might look at your body of work and think, wow, you know, Deborah, she's had such an amazing career, and I want, again, it's like from a material perspective, right? Somebody might want the external outcome of that. And yet the real magic is coming from the inside and, and who you are and the gifts that you give to the universe. It's always my, I never, it's rare when I have to get up and, and speak, speak. So when I do, I never write anything down because... You the, didn't? I was no. wondering. I was like, what's her process to write it? You know, I don't write anything down. I don't, I don't write anything down because... Do you trust be, yourself? It's not about trusting myself. I trust the love I have in others because my prime directive is always, don't talk about me and my career. 
I don't have a career. I just have creative opportunities. I do not have a career. And I'm not a voiceover artist. I'm a storyteller. And so for me, the most important thing is stop looking at me because I stand there. I want you to hear your story. I want you to hear yourself. I want you to to connect that way because we're mirror images. And I would be remiss if I went in there and talked about shit that you can find on the internet mm-hmm. or IMDB. Mm-hmm. Who gives a shit? I don't give a fuck about talking about things that you can find online. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be there, I want to spend my time and utilize my time talking about how we are connected as souls on this planet to make our lives and the choices we make possible and abundant. That it is possible. I stand up here as a possibility, not a voiceover actor. I stand up here as a possibility, not as an actress. I stand up here as a possibility, not a career. I stand up here as a possibility. So I always present myself in that space of I am the entity of possibility in all of us. And that's where I come from. That's why I never write anything. I never write anything down. But it doesn't hurt that, you know, I used to do improv. Yeah. I still do improv, but it doesn't hurt that I do that. But the bottom line is, it is such an easy way to connect when you see faces and know that your prime directive is, I stand here as a possibility of us all. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to talk about me. Mm-hmm. I want people to feel themselves. And and, I, and that goes across the board. So when I am in a booth and I'm doing voiceover, it's always about the story. At the end of the day, if you just hear my voice, I I have not checked off every box that I've wanted to do. The only box that I really want to check off is, do you feel the story? Mm. And do you feel yourself in the story? Mm. Are you immersed in the story? Then I've done my job. Mm. I never let my voice come first. I never, that's why I say I'm not a voiceover artist because I never do, let me find a voice print. Let me do something funny or, ooh, let me look at this and find a funny voice. Or, ooh, let me look at this and it says that I wanted, I should do a voice like this. It's, it's like, let me look at the story because if I pay attention to the story and I put my voice last in telling that story, my voice finds itself. So in putting my voice last, my voice comes first. Because I also mentor. I don't say I coach mm-hmm. because even coaches get paid. I don't get paid for coaching. So I don't call it coaching. I say I mentor because if someone comes to me and goes, I would love to, hey, I got, you know, absolutely. I don't charge because this is the space you hold and I hold that space with you. And I, the charges succeed and be loved, succeed and love and self-love and, and gather everything that is happening in your experience and use it as your fodder for your growth. Mm-hmm. Again, when the world hands you shit, It's only there to make you stronger because the universe is constantly on your side. God is constantly conspiring in your favor to let you know that you are minerals. But you will never need those minerals unless you had the shit to begin with. Mm. So the shit is there. Your minerals, now you fertilize something. And now you pass it and pay it forward to someone else who's going through that. Because they don't want to hear from someone who's successful. They want to hear from somebody who has struggled. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your struggles. Tell me about your pain. Tell me about when you've been on your knees. See, those are the stories I will tell before I tell you about the success. Look on IMDb. I won't tell anybody that stuff. Go find it yourself on the internet. Mm -hmm. I don't need to tell you about that. And so it's really important to be able to tell that story. And as I tell that story, it's a cathartic healing because a lot of actors will say, I become this character. I really become this character. You know, I, I embrace this character and I really became this character. I'm like, I don't become no character. I'll never become a character. It's flat, it's one-dimensional, it's on a piece of paper. However, what was written has been written sometimes five, six years before I even got to it, before I even knew I existed to do what I do. 
and it's been developed all this time. You've had so many no's and then you've had yeses and you've had a few yeses and you've had yes and then all of a sudden stop. And so all of these dramas that take place in developing a game and all of these dramas that take place in developing animation for television and film, they always have these stop gaps in between before it gets to me. And so it becomes more precious to people and more of a place of fortitude to get it done because you garner people in there like a tribe that says, we all believe, we all believe, we all believe in this story. Yeah. We all believe in this story. Mm -hmm. And so as you believe in that story and they believe in that story, the story is, as you notice, the foundation that it's being carried on, not my voice. And so when I know that I can help tell that story, I never become the character. It's flat. It's one dimensional. But every emotion that's been written, every feeling, every thought that's been written, I have had. We've all had as human beings. And so more than anything else, it's my responsibility as a storyteller to cut myself open and tell the story with every honest emotion, with every experience that I've had. So at the end of the day, when you hear it, you feel yourself in it. At the end of the day, I don't want you to hear it. I want you to feel yourself and your experiences in it. That's the most important thing. So I never become the character. The character possesses me so that I can use my body, my vocal cords, my diaphragm to tell their story because their story is important. Mm -hmm. And so their emotions were written, but mine were lived. So now... I'm going to use my emotions, my pain, my sorrow, my sadness, my suffering, my celebration, my joy to tell that story because it comes from the most honest place. And that's how I work. And I will never work any differently. But it it all came from that catharsis in 2012 to be able to to really focus on the larger picture and go from understanding something to overstanding it, standing over, looking over the precipice of everything. Mm. And seeing how I fit into the larger picture instead of making the picture about me and my voice. Now, did you grow up with a religious background? You grew up in New York City. I did. I grew up as a, as a, as a Christian, going to church, mm -hmm. singing in the choir. Family. You know, family. Was... Absolutely. Did you have siblings? Oh, yeah. I'm one out of, I still do, and I'm grateful to God for that. But I'm one out of five. I'm the second youngest, and there are five of us. And you went to the fame school. I went to the high school performing arts in Manhattan. Um, and two of my sisters, my two sisters, because I have two sisters and two brothers, my two sisters actually went to the high school of music and art, um, which is the same school. But what it was, it was there was an annex. So there was the high school of music and art uh -huh. and it was the high school of performing arts. They were in one area of Manhattan and we were in another. Okay. But it was the same school because the entire school's name was Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and the Performing Arts. Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and the Performing Arts. So the school that they went to, which is still the same school, but in a different place, studied music, music theory and instrument, mm -hmm. as well as fine art. Mm -hmm. so the school that I went to was acting mm -hmm. and dance and not fine art, but yeah, act, it was just acting and dance. Uh, so you knew from a very young age you wanted to be a storyteller? No. Because storytelling is something that was transmutational for me to realize that going from actress to voiceover actor, um, from voiceover actor into storytelling, to recognizing that truth. Again, it's I this see. cathartic. That's why I say when it comes to uh, the things we learn, it's always transmutational and evolutionary. So it's always, you know, evolving. That awareness is always evolving and it just grows exponentially. And so that was that space 
as I was doing it, I just said, wait a minute, this is more beyond voiceover. Mm -hmm. This is storytelling. And I really started paying attention to being not the babysitter, but the au pair of somebody's story. A babysitter comes in and goes, all right, I got my voice. I got my voice print. I got paid. I'm done. An au pair comes in and says, how do I love what you do as much as you love it? For the investment that you've placed into it, let me invest into it, not just with my voice, but the story you want to tell. Let me give you choices. Oh, what if, what if, okay, let me develop, let me help develop this, this being, this who's going to go from the paper and give it, they, she, them, him, a, a pre-life so that every thought and every feeling has a reason for being. Let me do forensics on the script. Mm-hmm. So I'm paying attention to not only what I do, but the environment I'm in. So it's paying attention to all of those things. Mm -hmm. So even if you choose to call yourself a voice actor, you are a voice actor, not a voice actor, which means do the work. So what's your process like when you get a script? Let's say you you have an audition. How do you approach the work? The story. It's all again. Primary. The primary thing is the story. What is the story? And here's my thing. Even if you get sides, which means only you get only a yeah. piece of the script, which is just a scene, essentially. Or sometimes even just your lines. Absolutely. You, there still is a story in that. Mm-hmm. There's still a definitive beginning, middle, and end. Mm. And those things begin and end with feelings. What are you feeling? With? What are you? What is? The, what are they feeling? Why are they saying this? It's always doing forensics. The forensics are always, why, 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 why? Why, 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 why? Okay? They don't tell you why. I'll tell me why. What are some of the experiences that I might have gone through that would make me want to say this? Mm-hmm. What am I feeling for this being, this creature? If I'm having a sympathetic and an apathetic relationship with this story, what is this person trying to say and why? Because it is an honor and a privilege and a gift to be able to tell their story and get it and get it not necessarily right, but hit it so that people feel themselves in it. Mm-hmm. And my, I'm not aiming for you to feel yourself. I'm aiming to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And if you feel from it, then I told you the truth. Then I did my job. Then I checked that off. And so for me, first thing is forensics. Why are they saying this? Mm-hmm. Where are they at in the location? My booth is never a recording booth. It is an environment that my third eye creates. So I'm always building in my second aspect of it, a relationship, not a relationship, which it is, but a relationship. How do I relate to who I'm talking to? Even if it is a monologue, it is a dialogue. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just your lines, because even if that other being, creature or thing doesn't have any lines, it doesn't mean that they don't exist. Mm -hmm. So... What are they saying in their head when they look at me a certain way? Why do I speak to them? What do I want from them? Why do I want to tell them this thing in this place? Because it only helps you make greater choices and logical choices and valid choices as you get into a booth if you book it. Because now you can validate the experience because you're validating the environment that you created in your third eye. So I'm always creating the environment. There's a difference between going, hey, it's getting cold out here. Let's go in because your voice sounds great. Hey, you're talking to someone and you've created that voice print already. You stuck because now you have nowhere to go. So when I mentor people and I listen to their stuff, I can hear that it keeps doing this. It always does this. 
Yeah, I get it, but it's always doing this because they're not having a relationship because they've got to be human. See, what they did is they became a voiceover actor, but they weren't a human being. Mm -hmm. And so they took away their greatest X factor, which is your human condition. They forgot about all that truth. And there is beauty as well as power in that truth. They forgot to take their breaths. They forgot to be real. They forgot to look at their own lies. That's your X factor. Because now I can mimic you. You gave up yourself. So I have nothing that says, I can't do that. I can't tell that story that way. I can tell the story that way because all you used was your voice. Mm -hmm. So now let me mimic your voice. Mm -hmm. You had nothing else behind it. Sure as shit, I can mimic that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you have your X factor in telling the truth, in telling your own truth, that is your journey that no one else can tell it better than you because no one else has ever lived it before. And so my second thing is creating that environment. So there's a difference, again, going back to it between, hey, it's getting cold in here, let's go inside, to taking those real moments. Hey, it's getting cold in here. It's getting cold out here. Let's go inside. How many of you have been out in the cold and it's hands or you take that breath because now you're being affected in that relationship with the cold air how it goes into your body what you're wearing the relationship is it warm enough so your hands are in your pocket or did you realize you came out and it's you're just wearing a light jacket and so that air goes through your jacket and it's like oof taking those real moments where the prerequisite is a oof 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 buttoning up a little so all of those things that are prerequisite help to tell the story and now whoever's listening is listening carefully because now they're not just listening they're seeing it and now they're immersed in it so story that's storytelling voiceover is i'm just listening to your voice storytelling is i feel myself a part of it oh when she did that we all do that we all connect it's building that connection. And that's how I look at everything. So in that moment and in those few lines, I'm telling a story from beginning, middle to end. Telling a story, not just also, using my voice. You're also your relationship with who you're talking to. Like, am I trying to impress them? Am I trying to seem courageous? Am Absolutely. I annoyed at them. You know, what was happening prior to the scene? And what are their faces doing when I'm talking yeah. to them? What is their expression? Because let me tell you something. The way you speak to your mother is not the same you speak to the boss. The way you speak to your boss is not the same you speak to a child. The way you speak to a child is not the same you speak to a lover. The way you speak to a lover is not the same way you speak to someone you're flirting with. The way you're speaking to someone you're flirting with is not the same way you would speak to your girlfriend or your best friend. So, I mean, it's all of those things. The way you speak to your girlfriend or your best friend is not the same way you'd speak in a, in a, in a, in a, um, a job interview and so yeah. it's paying attention all of those things and how you would do it is your x factor that is your x factor everyone thinks their x factor is whether or not they can make their fucking voice go high or low or <laughs> they can do something crazy with their vocal cords that's not your x factor because i guarantee you there's someone in the world that can do it too your x factor is your truth your beauty from the inside and how you live your reality and that's what you bring to the table because that is the intimate thing that no one can mimic. We all get sad, but no one can get sad the way you get sad. Your sad is different than my sad. We all can have rage, but your rage is different than my rage. We all laugh, but your laugh is different from my laugh. And that is your X factor. Don't give it up, people. If you do, you become as wooden as anything as anyone else can be. And so don't give that up because you'll be able to use that. And the same way it's, Pay attention to a breath. I see, I took that breath because I was thinking. 
So I pay attention to that and go, ooh, stick that in my pocket for later. Mm -hmm. And then when you really pay attention to the human condition and others as well as yourself, then you get to the next level. The next level is, I'm going to pull that out of my pocket and I'm going to edit it and put that there. I'm going to put that there. Then you can do in your mind, editing on the fly. The way I go, hoof, yeah, I'm going to do it right now. Hoof, I'm going to add that in there. Yeah, it, I didn't feel it. You don't have to feel it because you felt it before. So you know it's yours. And so now editing is in your mind is I'm just going to put that there and put that there and put that there and there as opposed to I need to feel it in this very moment. You can if you want to. Or if not, you can go, oh, I know these things about. Oh, I just breathe. Right OK, I'm going to use that for later. Hmm. So when someone is going, hey, what do you think? Oh, I think that's great. I'm going to use that. Right. I can save it, save it for later, baby. Put it in your pocket, save it for later. So then you can go, all right, I'm going to use that there and use that there and use that there. I'm going to listen back. Okay, I'm going to use that there and use that there. As opposed to, mm, it didn't work. I wasn't organic. I went, ooh, scroll that. Now, you, now you've already used your X factor. So now you can use your X factor in any way you choose. Cut it up, edit it, use it the way you want. Hey guys, this is Allison Packard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show, please, please, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. So now, even if I'm not thinking about it or someone excites me in that moment and says, hey, do you want to go here? I'm just going to pull it out of my pocket and go, oh yes, I would love to. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Ooh. Oh, I love that idea. As opposed to, I love that idea. I love that idea. You know? And so how much improv do you put into your auditions and your work? Because I will only use improv if I have allowed this being, this one-dimensional being, to possess me so much that in telling the story and knowing their life and allowing them to live through me, it works for my experience. It works for the experience I'm in. Mm -hmm. I did an audition recently and the way this the way this being possessed me and the environment that they were in, they were getting really sassy about something and they pulled something out of a private place and they were like, yeah, be careful because that could be, you know, that could be, you know, where I kept it, it could be really moist. <laughs> and so I said, yeah, don't be looking at me that way. And that person looked at me a certain way. Or I believe that they looked at because I said moist and I, and I pulled it out from a very private place. <laughs> And they looked at me like, and I'm like, don't be looking at me that way. Look, I'm getting old. My stalactites drip. Because ah. she didn't care. It was one of those things like, I'm just going to tell you the truth. So what I did is I tagged and segued from a truth into a truth. And I played with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Look at me. Uh-huh. Here. Uh, I'd be careful because that came from a place that was moist. Uh, don't look at me that way. Mm -mm. I'm getting old. My stalactites drip. <clears throat> Good luck with that one. You're going to need a wet nap before you're done. You see, it's just been looking and having these realities in these moments. And because you did that, now imagine envisioning someone taking it and putting it down there, top. And there you go. There comes that thing. And so as long as you legitimize it, don't do it to show off. Don't do it because you think it's funny. Do it because you legitimized this being coming in and possessing you and you legitimized the experience, you legitimized who you're talking to, you legitimized how they're responding to you, you legitimized how they're reacting to you, you legitimized the entire experience and so you have at it. And at the same time that you legitimize it, let's be real, it makes you look good that you know what you're doing. That you can stand apart if you envision that everybody else is just doing the lines and you added something really funky to it. Mm. But don't do it just to do it. Mm.
because it's bullshit, but create that space that allows it mm-hmm. so that other people go, I get it. Okay. And the environment, those who wrote the story, because you know why? Those who wrote the story, those who've been living with that story, know when it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. They know when it's bullshit because they've been hearing this story. They've been hearing the voices that they wanted in their head for so long that you don't want to take away the legitimacy of that because that's how you not get hired. Mm. Mm. I see you have many beautiful uh, tattoos and artwork. I am I am skin. covered in tattoos. Yeah, where, this the where last did you get your first tattoo? Oh my God, I got my first tattoo 38 years ago, 37, 38 years ago. This is my this father, A.B. Oh, and this is my mother, Dorothy. Oh, at first I thought it said Allie. I was like, did you pick that for me? <laughs> wow. I will, but it would just be awkward. It Are would you... just be a symbol of love or a symbol of light. Uh, are your parents still with us? My parents have passed on. I'm sorry. My parents have passed on. Thank you, goddess. Don't be sorry. Everybody has, you know, we're all going to shuffle off this mortal coil. It's not about when we go. It's what do we leave behind? I always challenge people. I always say, when you shuffle off this mortal coil, ask yourself three questions. You had a memorial service. Who would show up? How many would show up? And what would they say about you? That's the way I live my life now. Mm-hmm. You better because I'm going to be aquamated. There'll be nothing left. What's I'm... aquamated? Aquamated is the opposite of cremation. Cremation is to burn. Okay. Aquamation is raising a pH level so high that it dissolves a body and everything so that you're just left with fine powder. And so I know of animals that have been aquamated and I've made jewelry and I make jewelry. And so I've made jewelry with their, their ashes so that people can keep some of their ashes with them. Sure. And it's like a fine powder. And so I want to be aquamated because it doesn't hurt the environment. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be aquamated. Recycled a little bit. Not necessarily recycled Mm -hmm. because you can't really recycle those ashes because they're, it's like fine powder. It's like sand. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I want them sprinkled in a particular place and, um, maybe a couple necklaces. (laughs) No, you're not carrying around on your neck. I'm going to, when I'm gone, I'm gone. And yeah, so I'm not having any funeral. I'm not, I'm not holding a memorial service. If someone, if someone else goes, when I'm gone, I'm gone. So I'm not, and there's no fanfare for me. Okay. Because you know what? Any fanfare. No, no. Any fan, because I'm already, you know, any fanfare will be now. Yeah. Any fanfare will be while I'm alive, while I can support. Any fanfare will be because I'm compassionate. Any fanfare will be me volunteering. Any fanfare will be me, you know, working with a nonprofit. That's my fanfare. And while I'm here, I don't want to wait till I'm dead for people to go, hmm. no, none of that. So when I'm gone, you won't even know about it. Do you think your your powder will just be multicolored from all your tattoos? <laughs> no, unfortunately, it won't. Now, if there was, uh, if I could do- donate my skin to the Body Worlds exhibit, which you can no longer oh. do at this point, you can no longer do because I would. I'm what, like, reach capacity? No, there have been some legal issues. Oh, so with them, and when I found out about it, and not only that, <laughs> but with them, and beyond that, yeah. Even if there weren't, there were so many people that wanted to donate their bodies to the body world uh-huh. exhibit to be seen yeah. posthumously um, uh-huh. that it became like, we got too many. Yeah. yeah. But if I, if, but if skinning me can, and cause I, my entire body is covered in tattoos, every, my entire body, breasts, underarms, uh-huh. my stalactites in my back cave um, <laughs> and everywhere in between my cracks, my crevices, my creases. And so because I'm so covered with tattoos, it's like to preserve them would be cool. But I don't see how unless somebody's going to cut me open, stretch me out. And then, you know, you see an image of me, which is which is a little bizarre for me. 
And I'm and and trust me, I'm an out there person. Mm -hmm. But I think that would be a little too much. I think that would be a little too much. So I'd rather be aquamated yeah. and just have people go, okay, she's gone and there's no remnants of her um, in this world. So, but the thing that keeps me alive is your love and your thought. And that's why I say when I go- And, and years of television. <laughs> yeah, you know, all of those things that you may or may not see. You may or may not see. But if I've touched you in some way, the thought of you keeps me alive. So I don't need anything else in the material world. You're not dead until the last person thought it thinks of you is gone amen yes thank you beautiful so what was your first tattoo it was a tiny rose that uh -huh. i got almost 38 38 years ago okay on my forearm on my upper upper uh -huh, arm uh -huh. and it was like just mm -hmm. it was like still there oh yeah it's still there and so um she started the whole thing started the whole thing and it's interesting because i'd always been thinking about it but i it came from conservative middle-class black family and we don't do things like that okay. and so for me to even think because, about that but uh, i was always the odd i was always the 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 odd i was always left of center and i was but i was of i was of age i was way above age uh -huh. i was 25 at the time uh -huh. so i was like i am gonna do it and it was illegal in new york city so illegal I, yeah people were still getting tattoos there was still tattoo shops but it was illegal Whoa. Okay. yeah in the 80s Tattooing Didn't in New that. York City was still legal. It was not governed by the state mm -hmm. and it was not governed by the city. Okay. So it was illegal to get it done. But so I went to, I was like, well, I want to go to Mount Vernon. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. But I didn't break the law because I went to Mount Vernon, New York. Oh, home so of Denzel Washington. I went to Mount Vernon, New York, and it took me a while to get there in public transportation. But I got there and I went to Big Joe Kaplan. Who'd you go with? Just myself. Oh my God, I love you. I went to Big Joe Kaplan. Yes, I'm and he was, I was getting a tattoo. And because I didn't want anybody to know, I didn't want to tell friends, I didn't tell family. Oh, I didn't tell nobody. And so I was like, you know, baseball trading cards, people love this artist or this artist or this, you know, yeah. this baseball, this football card, this football card. I love these. And the stats, I was like that with tattoo magazines. And so when I knew about Joe Kaplan, I was like, I'm going to, he's, he's the closest guy that I've heard of that I know of that I'm a, I'm a fan of his work and seeing his stuff and his history, reading his history and stuff that I want to go to Joe Kaplan. Went to Joe Kaplan. He was finishing up somebody and I just walked into his shop like this. It was like a museum of flash. Flash is all this old artwork from tattooists and you can get like, and, and they have numbers flash on magazine? No, flash is, is the tattoo work. So someone goes, all right, I'm going to draw a picture and I'm going to put that on your arm. Yeah. That's flash. Got it. So the pictures. The, the pictures, right. Tattoo. Now imagine thousands of pictures from tattoo artists that were flash. Mm -hmm. The flashes, okay, each one has a number now. I want a number five and put yeah. it there. Change the colors. I want a number six. Put that there. And you know, yeah. so that's flash. So you're getting the artwork, the original artwork of very famous tattoo artists. Uh-huh. And it's there style it's their image they created the drawing okay it's called flash so i was looking at all this flash and i was like oh i just want this simple rose because it was like no nah, it's my first time i got it done and no one had come into the shop because it was during the middle of the day early in the afternoon because uh -huh. i knew i had a long journey back so he says you'll be when i when i was done he was like because i didn't know what the the pain would be and it hurt but it was no big deal but i the joy the adrenaline of I'm getting my first, I'm getting my first tattoo. And he said, you'll be back in two weeks. We were talking and he goes, you'll be back in two weeks. Because I was like, I found you and I knew about this yeah. and you did this and this and this and you did this and this and this. And I'm now I'm at your shop and getting it done. He said, all right, see you in two weeks. What do you mean? You'll be back in two weeks. He goes, 
I've been doing this for 40 years. I've been in this business for a very, very long time. And I've tattooed so many people, rock stars and everything else and everyone in between. I can tell when people are addicted. I know this is your first, but it won't be your last. You have an addictive personality and um, you'll be back in two weeks. Two weeks later, I was back. And I said, how did you know? The fuck did you know? He goes, because it takes two weeks for that to heal and it won't be enough for you. Once it's done, once he said your rose was so small, it wouldn't take more than two weeks to heal if you were gonna. And I knew you when I when you were looking at me with these big eyes when I was telling you how don't do this or do this or do this, and you were like, you know, your eyes were like, okay, I'm gonna take care of this, you know, that kind of that puppy dog. Like, okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, so, right, so. And he goes, it would only take you two weeks to heal, and you'd be like, now that it's done, what else is next? What was next? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so, everything else. Yeah. For for the uh, in fact, I didn't finish getting tattooed until. Last year. So about 37 years. 38. 38 years. Okay. Wow. 38 years because like, my I'm first done. tattoo. You're like, I'm done. There's nothing left. Yeah, because, it, it, you know, I was getting tattooed up until last year and the year before that kept going back. And I kept saying, no, each time I got tattooed, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Never ended. Right. Every time I said I was done, I would give you a dissertation on why I was done, you know, but I couldn't give you a dissertation on why I fucking bullshitted myself, yeah. but I can give you a dissertation why I was done. It's been 36 years. I've been getting tattooed for 36 years yes. and I'm finally done. And I've done every place you can possibly think. I almost had gangrene for one of my tattoos, but it was a Philip Lou and I would not change in the world. But baby, it was not Philippe Lou. The Lou family. The artist, yeah. Oh my God. So as I fell in love with these artists and fell in love with their stories and read all these tattoo magazines, Philip Lou didn't even come to the United States on a regular basis. So when he was here for a little while and he was tattooed out of a place in New York City, I just was like, oof, I got to make an appointment. What was the gangrene sitch? Because it was on my foot. Oh, okay. And what ended up happening is blood pooled. My blood vessels broke. I couldn't get that off my not. foot because I was in public transportation. So it wasn't like I was in a car where I can put my leg up and then get into the house and keep my leg up and not go to work. I was going to work. I was walking on it and all my blood vessels broke. And it was good. My whole bottom of my foot was swollen. I was coming to work with socks on because I couldn't fit shoes. And then one of my one of my closest friends who was like a sister goddess to me now who also worked with me um, when I was working for the city of New York. She was talking to somebody who who is a podiatrist, and then she said, "Uh huh, uh huh." And then she looked over at me, and goes, "Okay, I'll get it to an emergency room." And that's when I panicked. What? This Even though it was normal? painful, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I just needed more time to heal. And so, yeah, the, so they had to elevate my foot, and they had to pump me full of antibiotics to get the swelling down and let the blood vessels heal. And I had to stay off my foot. So I had to crawl to the bathroom. I had to crawl to get food. And I, to, yeah, I took uh, two weeks off of work to, to crawl everywhere. And I never left the house. I just had to make sure I had everything with me and to crawl everywhere. And then it healed. But guess what? It wasn't, my tattoo wasn't damaged. So that's all I cared about at that point. And I got a Philip Lou on my foot. And I'm very grateful. I kind of want to see it. Um, this is my Philip Lou. And you can't see it because I didn't, had I put uh, a dragon. Uh, it's not a dragon, it's actually a serpent. This is 36 years old because I got it either 36 or 30 uh, or yeah, it's about if it's not because I think I got it maybe two years after. So it's not 36. It's 34 years old, but it's a it's a, it's one of the oldest. And when I have a little bit of moisture on it, you can still see even clearly. So even though it's been 36, uh, 35 years, you can tell. And it's a serpent. And the reason it's a serpent and not a dragon is because it doesn't have any legs. Dragon has legs. A serpent isn't hmm. doesn't. So it's got a tail and it's got the wings. It's blowing fire, which comes out on both sides of my ankle. Um, and Philip Blue, and he drew it by the hand. 
instead of using flash, because when you take flash, it's a stencil. Oh. Yeah, so when I people see. say, okay, right, okay, because okay, say, okay. for example, we like two people want to get the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. they would get a stencil. That's flash. Yeah. Because then they would take a picture, they would see a picture on the wall and go, I want one of these and one of these. And then what they would do is they would get the stencil of it uh-huh. and copy it in a machine that has ink, like a copier, yeah. and then cut it out. And then with a little bit of alcohol, put it on. They put the tattoo where you want it. Yeah. And they pour a little alcohol on top, almost like when you're doing a transfer. So they would transfer the ink now onto the skin with the alcohol. And when they peel it off, there is the frame of your tattoo. And then you okay. can get it colored any way like you want. Fill, you fill it in with and you fill it in. That's back. not what Philip Lou did, which is why I wanted him to do it. He did that by hand. Now, see, this is the first time we've had an in-depth conversation about tattoos. Yeah. Alice's Wonderland. He did that by hand. <laughs> this wow. is to keep my toes from touching because, you know, I got a little bit of... Stop! Hammer toe! Oh, don't touch this. So let's take it back to high school. You're graduating from high school. You mm-hmm. decide you're going to take on the big city. No, how did that all work? How did it? I, I didn't want to go to the high school performing arts. My sister was like, you're going to this audition. You're going, I am, I, I, you're going to fill out Is this application. Older. Mm-hmm. My older sister, Lisette. Lisette. Who is Her a, mom. yeah, who is a music producer and a nice. and music producer and a keyboardist and a musician and just extraordinaire and writes music and just, she's, my sister's she live in LA or New York or? I'm the only one in L.A., although my family is back on the East Coast. But she played, she was the musical director for Shaka Khan at one point. And she played with, oh yeah, and Natalie Cole. With Philip Bailey and Phil Collins, there was a song called Easy Lover that came out. It was a duet between the two of them. And she played keyboards and arranged it. Yeah, she was also music director for Shaka Khan, Melissa Morgan. Yeah, she yeah, yeah she's just pretty amazing. She's just pretty amazing. And then produced and and was in her had her own albums. And her name is Lisette. She's the only one with green eyes. My sister wow. has green eyes. Yeah, there's a great story behind that. I'll tell you. So she made you go to an audition. Yeah, she was like, I'm filling out. You fill out this application. You're going to the yeah. school. She goes, you've got too much talent. To, you're not wasting it. You're not wasting. No, there's no way you're going to bring high school. And I'm going to take you there. And you're going to go in. And I'm going to be right where at that door. You're not fucking walking out. And she said, okay, prepare. What do they want you to do? You got to prepare an audition. All right, find something that you, a play. Get a playbook and prepare an audition. And one of my favorite movies of all time that makes me cry every, every single time I see it. Every single time. I'm not much for movie musicals, Mm -hmm. but there is one that has altered my life. And that was West Side Story, the original West Side Story. The original was Natalie Wood Mm -hmm. um, and Richard Boehmer. And I can go on and on and on. And Russ Tamlin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, it altered every experience of my life on such an emotional level. And so I did the famous Maria scene when she finds Tony dead. And that was rough for me. And so I went in and I did that. And then they, and the, the, it's interesting because those who let you say, okay, you're, we're going to include you in our program or we're going to allow you in this program. Cause it was still a public school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a private school, but you were, but by audition, 
It was a public school, but by audition only. It wasn't the staff. It wasn't the faculty. It was the seniors. Every senior year, wow. they're the ones who say who makes it into the school or not, not the faculty. And it was unlike any other experience for any other school. Wow. And so they said, okay, here is a series of workshops that we want you to do. We want you to be an animal in this workshop. And we're going to ask you to do the lines of what you wrote. I mean, uh, not what you wrote, uh, the, of, of, of the play yeah. as, as this. And we're going to put you in a series of, of improv exercises. And we're going to put you the da 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 So I did all of that. And I left. And I'm, I'm like, that was stupid. <laughs> that was my thought. Oh, getting down on the ground like a gorilla. That was stupid. Yeah, it was a dumb. I'm not going to... And then I thought, well, wait a minute. If you get in, you don't have to take nearly as many classes as a regular high school. Or math. Yeah. Or math or any of that stuff. Ooh. And so for me, it was an anticipation because I didn't have to go to regular school. This was going to be fantasy school. I'm like, I do. I played. I'm fantasy girl all the or I fantasy all the time. I have yeah. a vivid imagination. I had a, and it's interesting because my imagination came from being a chronic bedwetter and it grew from there. Again, when the world hands you shit or you feel like there is shit and the universe is always calling you to recognize and calling the, the minerals within you to mm -hmm. fertilize the experience. And so my storytelling began really early, not knowing that I was a storyteller, but the storytelling itself, like the action was already there before I gave it a name. And it came from my chronic bedwetting. And so I was like, ooh, yeah, I can go in there and I don't have to do regular school. And I could, ooh, because I like playing and I like storytelling. It's going to be fun. Yeah. You know, I like acting like this. Because remember, at the age of five, I was like, I am an actress. <laughs> I really, yes, I am an actress. I thought it was going to be dramatic. So I was like, ooh, this is the school to do this in. It's going to be fun. Uh -huh. But I didn't really take it seriously. So I did my classes and courses. And whatever academics that I had, I was a student. Yeah. Because it wasn't a whole bunch of them. Sure. To, to lower my grades, stuff I didn't want to take, mm -hmm. you know. So I only, you know, I only had four classes that were academic. So if I didn't get in there, I was, I'd be sort of stupid, you know, at a school like this. And so I passed with flying colors. And after I left, I was like, I'm going to go to Syracuse University. And when I found out what their acting program was, it was no different than what I was doing already professionally in high school. Mm -hmm. I was like, nah, I'm not going to take that. But I like having an experience in which it's not chemistry, you know, elementary probability and statistics. It's not all of those things. So I know I'm going to study communications. Mm -hmm. I want to be a, a camera person, mm -hmm. know all about the camera and get angles and stuff. And because I can story tell with my eyes as you know, you tell sure. the story and I'm going to, I was going to be fun, yeah. but I wanted to do it for TV because TV was easy. Uh -huh. Because if you do it for the news, you just move the camera here, stop. Uh -huh. Move the camera here, stop. Do it for a talk show, move the camera here, stop. Move the camera here, stop. Pan down, pan up, and zoom out and zoom in. I was like, that's what I want to do because I was looking for fun and easy. Work smarter, not harder. That was, you know, that kind of motto. And so I went to SI Newhouse School of Communications at Syracuse University. But I had grown up independent-minded. And so in my independent mind, I had been working since I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, summer jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. But I love the idea because it made me feel like an adult coming from that bedwetting space, that chronic bedwetter and feeling like an adult to I can pay bills and I can have money. I felt like an adult. I felt now that I'm out of that phase, I can now, you know, jump into the adult court. Mm 
you know, I can supersede all of that, you know, retroactively from all the times I felt like I was a baby into an adult. So I started paying bills by the time I was 14. My parents like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just pay the gas bill. And I would take my money to do it because it made me feel like an adult. So I realized I like working. So if I do this, I want to do something that's going to allow me to get a job right away. And of course, communications didn't. Mm -hmm. And I, I was working at a local station, but not making a lot of money up mm -hmm. in New, upstate New York. So I came back and started just taking jobs to find, you know, to, yeah. you know, because I was like, I'm gonna keep working. I'm gonna keep working. I'm not going back to school. I quit school. Yeah. I'm to work, to work. And my father's like, well, you know, you can't come back in this house without a job. I'm like, I'm already, are you kidding me? Boom, I was already out the door and I already had a job. And then I, I, I was working for City of New York Parks and Recreation. My father came from Parks and Recreation, but he also taught. My father worked two jobs full time, both for 28 years. Gosh. Two full time jobs for 28 years. My father was a master. And so I admired that. Yeah. And I just wanted to be able to go like, I can support myself. You supported five children and they all, you know, had every opportunity they can possibly have. My father, every 70s, got a brand new car. We were never without our, you know, recreational stuff, mm -hmm. our summer this, our artistic stuff. I was like, no, I'm getting, I'm getting me a job. And so I always stayed in a job. And even when I realized that the communications there was like, oh, this is, I get it. Yeah. And then I started not doing classes in order to go out and work yeah. and, uh, and volunteer. And I was like, oh, this I can't maintain all of that, so I'm going to come back home, yeah. that kind of a thing. And so I came back to New York and started working any job I can get and then using my silliness in all those jobs to have fun. Uh -huh. One one of them got me fired. The other one was like, we like you, keep you know, keep on. So what, City of New York and Parks and Recreation, when I came back, there was an opening. My father made sure I got in. You know, he's like, oh, I'm yeah. say, I'll get you in. Yeah. You got to keep yourself in, but I'll get you in. And I worked and I worked and I worked. I did everything from preschool programming. Oh, that's right. You were a preschool teacher. I was a preschool teacher. I ran after school church. programs. It was out of All Saints Church, but it's still the city of New York, Parks and Recreation. So it had nothing to do with the church other than us renting their basement. Okay. But I did preschool programs. So I ran, a, I ran a preschool and then I did after school programs. And then during the summers, I was a, a, an assistant camp counselor till I became a counselor, till I became the camp director. Mm -hmm. And so I did programs for uh, differently abled children and all these seasonal programs for different holidays. And I was like, this is great because I said I'm using my imagination and the city is paying for it. I did a series with Joan Rivers and I validated my job with the city of New York by saying, I'm going into senior citizens and I'm going to write up a program where we take them on trips into Manhattan to see a live taping of a show. Okay. But if I do that, I have to be the one to escort them. So the van system was in place. They came. I was Joan Rivers co-host as well as her sidekick. So I was already there. Wow. And that's how I validated my job with city of New York after a while it didn't work. But you know, as I started moving into entertainment field, I was val I still had my city job and I was validating it whatever, you know, however I could, yeah. you know, you need that mm -hmm. safety career when you're building. Absolutely. You're working on Absolutely. And it's something I love because I really believe, I believe the entertainment industry was part-time and city was full-time. That was where my mind was. Yeah. It's like, this is part-time because everything happened and left and happened and left six month here and left six month here and left when it came to entertainment. Everything yeah. I did was like, I did it, yay, but it didn't interfere with anything. I did sketch and improv live on weekends mm -hmm. in Manhattan, and it didn't at the Village Gate, and it didn't interfere with anything, yay. I had my city job. 
So my city job wasn't my, I fall back on it. My city job was my main thing. Yeah. And, and, and all the stuff in the entertainment industry didn't mean much to me because it was just fun. And that's why I think it was easier to propel myself into it because a lot of people go like, I'm working hard to get there and I need to get there. For me, I fell forward into it because it was just, it didn't mean as much to me. I had no stake in it other than the fun. So when did that change? When did entertainment become full-time? Entertainment came full-time when I auditioned for Mad TV while I still had a city job. So you still had the city job before that? Mm-hmm. I so lived you were the in, first cast member? I was the first original cast member. In, L, in New York, while I still had a city job, I did a major feature film. I was a spokesperson twice, once for Amana Refrigerators okay. for, for that company and for Burger King as a spokesperson on camera and radio. And I was doing sketching improv on the weekends and off, off Broadway. So for me, I did all of those things yeah. before Mad TV. Mad TV was my third series. I did a series in New York called Uptown Comedy Club, which was sketch. Okay. Late night, ah. syndicated. That was my first. It was sketch and improv, late night, syndicated. So, and I had already done a pilot called That's the cool. Apollo Comedy Hour, which was sketch. So, okay. you know, that was my breakthrough into Mad TV, yeah. but I was already working. Same casting or? Different. People, but they could see that on your resume, and I'm sure. Yeah. In the audition, you could already deliver because again everything didn't last so my my mindset was not keep going keep this going my mindset was this ain't gonna keep going have fun so how long did you try to keep the city job while you were shooting mad tv or were you like okay obviously i kept it during the pilot yeah because i used all of my time all of my sick leave yeah for that month to come and shoot the pilot Uh the only time my heart sank when when i went i really don't know if i want to do this was before I left L.A. to come back to New York, I was told the pilot was picked up as going the series. And I went, because that meant a life change yeah. without the opportunity or the belief that I had control, which meant the illusion was I had control to begin with, and there was no control. It was just opportunities, and I went, okay, I'm going to make choices. Yeah, That's why it's not control, it's choices. Yeah. And all those choices brought me like, here it is, and now it's gone. All right, next choice. Here it is, and now it's gone. So I wanted this to be the same thing because, again, mm-hmm. City was my career. City was my my truth. City wasn't like fallback on it. City was the real deal. Mm-hmm. And this was just play world. Yeah. I make money with my play world. I have fun with my play yeah. world. But, um, and I, I can bring it back home to my family, my community, my neighborhood, where I live, where I grew up, where I was born and raised. So now when this is getting picked up, it means moving and leaving all of that behind yeah. with no city job and nothing to fall on. And so I, I knew they nearly sued me because, because it was like, no, nope, not going. You had to sign, you had to sign everything at the pilot in advance. Yeah. In advance. So uh, uh, my manager was like, oh, they're going to sue us both. Okay. Well, I don't want to get you in trouble. I'll go. <laughs> and I had a battle with myself for the first four years wow. in LA and on the show. I came out. I did my thing. I was good because once I was there, it was the same as uh, uh, once that once that sketch is done, once that intro is done, once the ending is done, once the interstitials are done, because those those reminded me were reminiscent of you, you do it and you leave. You do it and you're done. You do it and you're done. But now you have to do it and be done for one season. OK, and here's another season. Oh, guess what? We got picked up again. So it was that. And I didn't find my footing in L.A. and I didn't find my footing for myself at the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find my footing with the show until season four. Wow. And it was was it this time or was there anything specific that shifted? A big shift. I still felt I was undeserving 
But the big shift was stop caring. And I don't mean caring as in being neglectful. Stop caring as in stop making this space, this emotional space, this toxic space. Mm. Fuck all of that. You're giving stuff, be of the service industry. Fuck it, I got it. Fuck it, I got it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll have fun. I'll do have fun. It. So I stopped thinking, because I never jockeyed for position because I believed I wasn't worthy of it on the show. But it was a matter of, am I worthy of this? Am I worthy of this? And I said, stop that. Mm -hmm. Fuck that. Don't give a fuck about anything. Just go and do it. Just go and do it. Stop putting all of this stuff in your head. Let that go. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm done with you. What you want? Because if I focus on service, mm -hmm. it makes everything go quickly. And at the same time, the feel good from it is, I gave you what you wanted. It works for the show. It works for the producers. It works for the networks. I gave you what I wanted. That was my sense of control. That was my sense of empowerment. That pushed out. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. And so I was like, I'll do it. They were like, well, blah, blah. And then by that time, by fourth season going to fifth, you had actors that had settled in. They're like, I don't want to do that. Or it's only two lines. Yeah. And everyone knew me as the I'll do it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'll do it. I'll do it. I got this. I'll do it. There's only two lines. I'll do it. I'll do it. You have to, okay. Well, this one, you have to kind of show your breasts a little. No, right? I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't give a, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because I wasn't always an envelope pusher anyway. I'm like, Pfft. so uh -huh. they started giving me more sketches. Uh-huh. Because it was like, I'll do it. I don't care. Got one line in this. I don't care. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And then Devon Shepard, who is amazing. He's very well known in this business as a producer and a writer. Mm -hmm. Wrote for so many people in so many shows, particularly black shows. He became one of the writers on the show. And then, and it, 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 then eventually an executive producer. And he saw some of the things that I was doing. He was like, I got you. So when you have a black writer mm -hmm. writing for a black person, mm -hmm. black cast member, that's when that's when it took off and he came in in synchronicity in divine appointment in fourth season when you were ready to handle it and i took all those skills and put them into this space but i never forget that the skills came from that fear and so I t it's almost like when you separate the cream from the milk or when you separate the 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 seeds from the juice you know, you separate, this doesn't work in this, and you take that juice and go, this is pure. Okay. This is energy. This is a supplement to the path that I'm on. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I took, I separated myself from the bullshit and the illusions in my own mind and just took the joy and the truth and the beauty, and I got rid of all the bullshit. Mm -hmm. And even when the bullshit flares up, because again, it's an evolutionary process, I'm so used to it flaring up that it's like, yeah, 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 I hear you, mm -hmm. but I'm going to save you. You're worthy to me and I'm going to reconcile myself with you because someone else is going to go through bullshit and need to hear that story. So if I can help somebody else with it, you're worth it. So I'm going to put you in a cupboard. And so if someone else says, you know, my child is bedwetter, pull the bedwetting out of the, out of the, out of the pocket. Uh -huh. My low self-esteem, I'm unworthy. Pull that out, put mm -hmm. it in the pocket and have this, this amazing conversation with people. Have an di open dialogue because sometimes people need more than the story of your success. Mm -hmm. Most times they're looking for something when they ask questions about themselves. And it's my responsibility as I choose it mm -hmm. to want to know more about the space that they're holding when I when they ask a question mm -hmm. so I can give them something that reminds them that they are loved by me and that they are loved 
because there is love surrounding them. And now let the love of myself and let the love of others around you guide you towards your self-love. You've given us so many good wisdoms. I mean, I can't believe it's <laughs> that we're going to how quickly time is flying. Because mm -hmm. there... there's no such thing as time. That's why. You haven't experienced there's just experiences. Except for on YouTube. No, there's, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good one. Yes. Yes. But that's why time flies. People say time flies when you're having fun. Right. Because you're not paying attention to time. There's no such thing as time. As a construct, you pay attention to it here. But it's interesting how when you're having the experience, you're, you're breathing in that experience and then you pay attention to how long you've been breathing in the experience. And that's why there's a, a, a concept of time, the idea of time. Mm -hmm. because when you're having an experience, it's just an experience that you completely immerse yourself in. And I'm grateful to have, I love you. Um, if I haven't told you that yet, and I don't think I have, I love you. And thank you for trusting me that I have something to bring to the table in this oh moment God. and creating a safe haven for everyone who comes on mm -hmm. to tell their story and to, to, to have their jokes and their fun and creating this beautiful environment to feel comfortable and safe and warm and loved and enjoy them and see an expression of themselves in this creativity, in this art, in this, it's like I'm a hobbit and it's like I'm a child. It's all these things that are within me that give me permission to play and be honest and tell my truth and know that it is a safe and beautiful haven to do that in. You've created an amazing space for everyone. And if, and on behalf of everyone who's ever come in and and shared their vision and their dream and their idea and their truth and their career and their goals and everything else. We thank you. We love you and we thank you. It is a wonderland. Thank you. We thank you. Aptly named. Yeah, kudos for you. It's aptly named. Thank you, goddess. And where I know that um, so people that are moved and touched by your experience and your story, is there any way for them to connect with you and are you don't really yes yeah um so, i am not on social media whatsoever so and a lot of people great. go a lot of people go like well you know in this day and age it helps your career it helps you i'm like not for me because again every experience is different and, and you can choose time away from doing the thing absolutely and whatever choice you make if you if you really own that choice the universe will conspire in your favor to exponentially grow the space that you're in, like picking up tarantulas that should bite you and they don't. And so, and like enjoying this wonderland and enjoying the wonderland of the, the work experiences that I have without people going, yeah, it's a cruel business, it's harsh, it's this, and not buying into it. You don't have to buy into anything except having your experiences and making those choices because that empowers you. And so for me, I don't need social media, but I love connecting to people. Yeah. So the only thing that I do that I was convinced to be yeah. a part of by a voiceover actor, John Kassir, who was the original voice of the Crypt Keeper, on uh, Tales from the Crypt. Oh, wow. um, he said, you're going to love it. It's fun, Deborah, because I know your personality. You love to connect to people. Uh -huh. So he never sold it as in, hey, you're going to do all these cameos for people. And, you know, you're going to do all the, you know, the greetings and the wedding and the birthdays and stuff like that. He never uh -huh. sold it to me that way because he knows me well enough. And he sold it as in, you get a chance to connect to people on that level. So I'm on cameo. You don't even have to, and I'll tell you this, 
You don't have to buy a Cameo because Cameo will say, you can charge for this and this and this and charge for messaging. So every time somebody messages you, you get, you make this yeah. much money because they get a percentage. And I think, yes, that is a business, but my business is love and my business is connection. So if you don't want a Cameo, but you want to go on the Cameo site, download the app just to send me a message, I answer all my messages. You send me a personal message, I respond to you. I will talk to you that way. And then maybe one day you will get a cameo. Maybe one day you won't, but you'll just check in with me because there are a number of people that just check in with me. Hey, how you doing? Here's what's going on in my life. Hey, and I will respond. So I've had people for a couple of years now who are just like, hey, Deb, blah, blah, blah. And we connect that way, yeah. you know? And so feel free if you have any questions or just want to talk or share or connect personally, go to Cameo, uh, download the app because it's easier to send a message if you download the app. And go to the app and then look up my name, Deborah Wilson, and then send me a message. My messages are always free. I love that. <laughs> and then here's what I've also done. Sometimes people are like, I just really need to talk to you and I have so much to say. Then I'll say, here's what you do. Let me know when you're available mm -hmm. and send me through the messages a Zoom link. Mm -hmm. And we will connect at a time when we can Zoom together. We'll have a 45-minute conversation. And there are some people like, I just wanted to interview in you. And, you know, I'm, 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 I didn't. And I was like, well, well, fine. Then, you know, because they'll ask me questions and they'll pay for a cameo. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. If you have a podcast or you want to start a podcast, or you want to. Hey, let me let me let me do on your podcast. So send me a Zoom link yeah. and I will connect to you and we'll do an interview on your Zoom link. One guy was was like, I wasn't even thinking that you would do that. I, I was afraid to ask. I was he had never even considered asking. I'm like, why not? Well, then I'll ask you, may I be on your podcast? And he's like, yeah, we'll schedule a time. And, and it was great. He was a Star Wars fan. And, um, and I've done a number of Star Wars, uh, uh projects, uh, for in the video game world. And so let's connect. So I tell people connect. Let's connect. Go to Cameo, download the app, and we'll connect. Yes. And like I said, if you, if we have the time and I have the time and you go, can we actually talk and zoom and can I record it? Sure. 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 Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Deborah. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, today. goddess. I love you. I love you more. Aww. You're gorgeous. You're gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for watching Allison's Wonderland. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe. You should subscribe, right honestly. It's literally just clicking a button. It don't takes two seconds. Anyways, we'll see you next time. Okay, so have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.allisonpacker.com. See you next week.